2: The Reasonable Voices are advocates prioritizing education, preserving our history, leading by example for a peaceful and prosperous world, by evoking and embracing both creative artists and political unity as solutions to our challenges. Good afternoon. This is the Reasonable Voices talk radio show. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando. And My guest today is Marley Monahan of the Coalition of Immaculate Workers uh, in Florida. Marley, how are you?
1: I am great. So happy to
2: be with you. I am happy to have you too. I know we have in the past uh, uh, communicated via email on a lot of issues involving CIW, Coalition of the Immaculate Workers, but uh, this is the first time I think we've spoken, and certainly on radio. So uh, maybe we should. Um, I guess start off with what is the Coalition of Immokalee Workers?
1: Absolutely. I'm happy to speak to that. The Coalition of Immokalee Workers is an internationally recognized human rights organization based in Immokalee, Florida, uh, began in the early 90s, around 1993. And is the creator of the Fair Food Program, which is an award-winning program that improves the, both the wages and the working conditions of uh, tens of thousands of farm workers along the East Coast mm. uh, through a partnership with retailers as well as growers, principally,
2: of tomatoes. Okay. The Fair Food Program. What What's your title there? What, what's your day-to-day sort of operation hat? <laughs> Uh, So, as many
1: people at the Coalition do, uh, all of us do a little bit of everything. Mm -hmm. I work in particular on our communications work and also our development work. I am a part of the anti-slavery program, so I do some investigative work for that outside of the therapy program on some of the more extreme abuses that unfortunately continue in agriculture.
0: Mm. Uh, And
1: I also do a lot of our video and photo work and help run our website.
2: Fantastic. That's a lot. <laughs> you... Well, everybody does a little bit
1: of everything.
2: Exactly. You know, you mentioned the word slavery, of course, and everyone's ears uh, perk up. I, I know the film Food Change, Sanjay's, uh, uh, Raul's uh, Food Chains. I've seen and had him on the radio. But from your point of view, describe what what you mean by slavery. What is going on? Absolutely. So
1: unfortunately, within the agricultural in the United States, the conditions for the most part are pretty bad. Uh, For many, many decades, farm workers have been some of the lowest paid and least protected workers in the entire country. Uh, And in some of the very extreme cases, uh, that type of exploitation can actually Turn into modern-day slavery, and so what we mean by that are workers who are forced to uh, to perform labor against their will. They are paid little to nothing. Uh, they are controlled by their supervisors, uh, always being watched. They aren't able to communicate with other workers, with their families and are not allowed to change jobs. And uh, what can compel them to stay in a situation like that uh, could be either physical violence or threats of physical violence, uh, or even uh, something psychological, like a threat to their family back um, uh, back home or their family here. Uh, and so, and then also there's uh, elements of debt often. And so workers will be told, well, you are indebted to me, or they'll have a lot of uh, money taken out of their check. Um, and so much that is reduced from their checks that they, in fact, go deeper and deeper into debt rather than actually digging themselves out of it. Uh, and so it's, it is unfortunately something that uh, that does come to pass in agriculture as well as other low-wage jobs, even right here in the United States.
2: You know, this is this sounds like such a throwback to a bygone era, and the fact that it's still going on uh, is most disturbing. There is a pattern, there is a historical pattern Uh, in the United States of America of uh, where people are promised one thing, and when they get there, they're put to work doing other things and paid so very little and kept in debt intentionally. I hate to to sort of relive this history, but it's really not history. It's uh, current events, yes?
1: Absolutely, and I appreciate you bringing up the historical context because I think that that is essential not only to understanding why it's happening, but also understanding who we're talking about. Uh, slavery has, of course, been a fundamental part of the agricultural economy of the United States uh, since the beginning of European settling in the United States. So yes. the South was, of course, built on uh, plantation-style agriculture, uh, as of as was much of the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we started with with what many of us think of when we think of slavery, which is this shadow slavery in which men and women were bought and sold and were forced to work without pay and were owned by other human beings Mm. Um, but even after the civil war and after that was eliminated that dynamic didn't necessarily die because if you can if you think about it even though you can find a law and being um from one day to the other when you have an entire economy built on free labor yes uh that is billions and billions of dollars uh millions of pounds of products that are picked and produced through that economy there's no way that that is going to uh, follow suit overnight uh, and in fact there were um, different many different chapters of that history um, all of which are sad <laughs> uh, in which that that dynamic did not change its form changed it adapted over time to new laws that were put on the books uh, you know there was different servitude, uh, there was, of course, convict leasing in which um, young men and women were leased out um, the, um, from jails in order to do that labor. And uh, and so there were just different ways in which many of the same uh, men and women, descendants of the same men and women who had been slaves, were still kept in uh, in the field, yeah. uh, in our case. Uh, and thinking about, for example, the history of agriculture in Florida um, that continued over time. And Leading up to today, modern day slavery continues to exist. Again, its form is different. Um, the people occupying those jobs are perhaps different, but at the same time, I think it is a it is a mistake and a common a common myth to say that anybody who's in that position is necessarily an immigrant. On the contrary, many of the um, of the men and women who are enslaved in this country. Uh, is a complete mix. They have people might be here as immigrants. They might be here uh, with a totally valid work visa
0: mm.
1: uh, from another country, or they might be United States citizens. There were several cases in the in the nineties and the early two thousands, such as U.S. versus Lee, U.S. versus Evans, in which uh, all of the victims in those cases of modern-day slavery were in fact U.S citizens who had been recruited from homeless shelters, and going back to what you had uh, mentioned earlier, had been promised a particular job, but when they arrived, uh, find that it did something entirely different. They found themselves uh, kept behind chain link fences with barbed wire, um, again forced to work. They were paid in, uh, in some cases in drugs, uh, and kept through that uh, mm. in perpetual debt. They were physically beaten. Uh, and threatened by their supervisors. And these are not isolated incidents that are totally disconnected, for example, from our food system or the food that we get off the shelf at the supermarket. These were, um, these supervisors who were, who had this behavior were in fact, or were committing these crimes, were working for some of the largest growers in the state of Florida. Hmm. They were working in the orange groves. Uh, that produce the same oranges that make the orange juice that all of us have at breakfast. So uh, those, I think it's very important to see, even though that these are very extreme cases, and by no means uh, is anybody who works in agriculture um, being forced to work against their will, but that uh, that does it does occur, uh, and it certainly is a part, unfortunately, of our food system as a whole, and it's something that all of us
2: are affected by and connected to. And and we want to talk and define as uh, uh, what the food system is so we're clear from the grower, the farm worker, and through the supermarket and the fast food chains. Just so we understand, this is a 2017 event. This is happening now. Is that correct?
1: Absolutely. Uh, so we, just to kind of catch up, Listeners, um, kind of the most recent history. So, building out of that rather bleak backdrop, mm-hmm. uh, it, you know, that was how one of the things that uh, compelled the Coalition of Immaculately Workers to come into being mm. was responding to uh, not only cases of modern day slavery, but the more, unfortunately, everyday violence yes. uh, that farm workers were facing, the grinding poverty that farm worker families were living with, uh, that, that really. Um, was a force behind the CIW in, the, in its earliest days and, and remains that way. And so the good news is that there are solutions to this problem. Mm-hmm. It is not something that uh, that we have to live with that is an inherent part of the system that can never be combated or eliminated. On the contrary, there are systems uh, and there are new movements and new things that um, no, not only new programs that are coming into into being, but also things that everyday consumers can do to help that happen. And so that's the good news and what I'd love to talk about even more. Uh, and so the the coalition not only uh, helped to investigate many of those early cases in the 90s and the early 2000s, uh, and we continue to do that work today. We partner with law enforcement uh, and with other nonprofit organizations in order to support workers who are in that situation, in order to bring justice to uh to those workers and then also given that we are in fact a farm worker organization ourselves many of the victims in those cases end up becoming um members of the ciw and and attend uh protests which we'll talk a little bit more about later and and are get involved in our work and actually become architects of a solution that actually prevents the same crimes that they themselves went through, and I think that's a really, uh, really critical and um, and beautiful part of this yes. work is that it is not simply about uh, looking at individuals as victims, but rather looking at them as survivors, looking at them as workers, as mothers, as fathers, human beings, and also as as agents of change, as people who uh, then go on to keep those abuses from happening to other people, and so. Through the Fair Food Program. So again, addressing your question about the what is the food system, uh, and, uh, and I can kind of talk about that in terms of how the Fair Food Program as a solution fits into that. So within our food system, and what produces the majority of our uh, fruits and vegetables, um, but not only that, of course, also milk, also um, you know poultry processing, all kinds of pieces of um, of mass production in this country are, are based on a system in which you have a large group of workers who are overseen by a supervisor and agriculture is known as a crew leader. Uh, and then mm-hmm. those crews will work for a, for a large scale uh, farmer or a grower. And then those growers will either through a repacker or directly sell their product to some of the big brand names that all of us know and Uh, and go spend our money. So places, uh, of course, there's the fast food industry, which buys a ton of fresh produce for their hamburgers and their chicken sandwiches. So McDonald's, Burger King, all of those big players. Uh, There is, of course, the supermarket industry, which is the biggest player of all. And Mm -hmm. so, uh, of course, is the biggest buyer of fresh produce and relies on this system uh, in order to get the products that they need. And then also food service providers, uh, who do cafeterias and hospitals and universities uh, and other venues. And so all of those retailers, I think it's very important to understand their role in this yes. industry. Uh, and because it really comes down to the power that those large corporate buyers have when it comes to compelling particular conditions in their supply chain. So if I'm a, a huge fast food uh, restaurant and I want to get a particular kind of tomato and I want to make sure that that tomato perfectly round I want to make sure that there is no that there is no bacteria on that tomato I have an incredible amount of control over what my how my supplier produces that tomato because of the volume at which I'm buying
0: Mm. right
1: because those major retailers are buying enormous volume yes and over the last 30 years 40 years an incredible consolidation in particular looking at the supermarket industry as an example in which there and all of us know this just through our own experience. There are fewer and fewer mom and pop stores and more and more um, large scale chains and even those chains that we see are in fact owned usually by some even larger umbrella large. company. Yes. And so there's very few players in this field. And so as a result Uh, They have a lot of say over how their product is produced and when they speak, suppliers listen. And so when we started the campaign for fair food as the CIW in 2001, it was really using that analysis and saying, we want to see change in this industry. We want to see an end Slavery. We want to make sure that women who go to work in the field don't have to live in fear of sexual violence every day, which Mm. was the reality for many, many people. And in order to accomplish that, what the CIW did was ask those major retailers who have so much power Mm. to say, not only do I need a tomato that is perfectly round, not only do I need to make sure that will not make my consumer sick, but I do not want it to be harvested by someone who is being forced to work against their will. I will not buy a product like that. I do not endorse a product like that, uh, and I certainly don't want to compel conditions uh, that will produce that kind of exploitation. And so just based on that basic premise, that basic principle, that if consumers really knew where their food was coming from, and if retailers made an effort, to compel that as a new standard that they held their suppliers to that change would happen and i'm very happy to say that I ha- that hypothesis has been proven over and over and over again uh as as something that is can be extremely successful and we've seen that we've seen the transformation of the florida tomato industry and now beyond the mm-hmm. pair program is now something that has 14 major buyers that are participating Um, and, of course, the majority of the Florida tomato growers, which is a $650 million industry, and is operational in seven states and three different crops. And what that means is because those retailers are only purchasing, they have committed to only purchase from ethical suppliers, Mm -hmm. which means that those suppliers can only afford to have... um, supervisors and other employees who treat workers with respect and with the dignity that they would deserve. And so we've seen an industry that was once known for its exploitative practices become one that is, um, there was actually one worker who described it as actually being able to work a gusto. In mm-hmm. other words, being able to work comfortably, being able to go to work and not be filled with fear uh, it, it's really an, an incredible thing to have witnessed the transformation of this industry. In fact, there was one labor rights expert who called um, who called the, uh, the Florida tomato industry the best working environment in American agriculture due to the transformation brought about by the Fair Food Program. Even more recently, going back to the theme of um, modern-day slavery, there was an expert, a special rapporteur for human trafficking in the United Nations who said that the fair food program should be used as an international benchmark Mm. for the types of programs that can truly uproot and prevent modern day slavery in all kinds of global supply chains
0: Yes, that
1: at the bottom of which there is is thousands and thousands of, uh, of workers who are being exploited. And so that is a system that all of us are a part. And the final thing that I just want to mention is the role of consumers and all of that. Because those 14 companies that ha- are part of the Fair Food Program and as a result have um, helped to bring about all of this change only did that because thousands and thousands of consumers came together with farm workers in the CIW and called for it and said, I, will, I demand this. Because if you think about, if you go further up in that food chain, mm-hmm. you have the farm workers, you have the supervisors, you have growers. Who do the growers listen to? The retailers. But who do the retailers listen to? The big corporations. They're consumers. Yes, and the exactly. consumers. The people who are in their store buying every day. And yes. so if those same everyday people make an effort and join campaigns that demand ethical products and cheap ones uh, in addition to any other quality that we want and the things that are that we put into our body in the products that we have in our homes, uh, if we make an effort as consumers to make sure that those are ethical goods, then
2: a lot can change. All right. We're going to take a break. This is most informative. Of course, I'm sure the battle is not over, but we are speaking to Marley Monahan of the Coalition of Immoculate Workers, which uh, has started a campaign for a fair food nation. It has spread to other industries, and as she said, even the United Nations is paying attention. So, So will we. But for now, let's take a short break. We'll be right back. Please stay with us.
0: And now, another film rental discovery. Welcome to the Indie Film Minute, Force Majeure a legal term freeing all parties from obligation in the face of an act of God. It's a beautiful day. A happy family, mom, dad, and beloved children on their annual ski vacation. No pressures, forget about work, etc. This is family life, beautifully mundane. After a morning skiing, it's lunchtime, and what better than a cafe with a view up the majestic slopes, beautiful. A presumably controlled avalanche is rumbling down the slopes, how exciting. Getting closer, wow. And closer, Uh uh-oh, raw white powder overcomes the cafe as Dad chooses to save himself, leaving his family to fend for themselves. But the avalanche threatening to bury the cafe turns out to be a harmless snow cloud. Now what? Life goes on, subtly but fundamentally changed, identity redefined in an instant. Force Majeure turns out to be one of the most interesting films of 2014, raising quiet but powerful questions. None of us can be confident of how we might react in such a situation. Watching the ramifications unfold on the screen, asking, What would I have done, cannot be avoided. Can we really know ourselves until we are tested? And should we fail at a fateful moment? Can those we love continue to love and accept us? And more importantly, can we accept ourselves? Force Majeure. Not in theaters. Discovery through rental.
2: Welcome back to the Reasonable Voices Talk Radio Show. My guest today is Marley Monahan of the Coalition of Immaculate Workers. Started out as an organization primarily protecting and making working conditions better for tomato farm workers in Florida, but it has gone much further, overcome many obstacles. And you've already pointed out in the last segment that once the American consumer realized what was happening uh, to get that tomato, that, that produce that they buy at fast foods or restaurants or, or, or the supermarket, they responded. So let's start out with how they knew. Uh, what did you put in the stores that let people know this is a CIW ally, this, this uh, food chain? But, and then what are your plans to get more American consumers aware?
1: So there are several exciting frontiers of the work, and how does this program grow, uh, the areas in which it is growing, and, of course, what, uh, what all of the listeners of this program and all everyday consumers can do in order to be a part of that. So the Fair Food Program now does, as we mentioned, partner with 14 major corporations, uh, including supermarkets, fast food chains, and food service corporations. And some of those uh, have just started to implement a labeling system. So there mm-hmm. actually are um, some of the partners such as Whole Foods and Ahold USA, which is a parent company to Giant and Stop and Shop. I think uh, probably for many of the listeners of this program, Giant would be the most relevant, I believe, that they're in Virginia. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, yes. And so those, in some of those stores, you'll begin to see uh, some
1: displays next to Florida Tomatoes. Uh, really laying out what is the Fair Food Program, bringing um, both photos and, and direct words and testimony from farm workers themselves about the impact of the program. And so there will be those um, actually on the shelf to help uh, everyday consumers, regardless of whether or not uh, you've heard of the Coalition of Immokalee Workers, to know that this uh, this particular product was actually produced ethically and was produced fairly uh, so that is on the horizon it has been implemented in, uh, in a couple of pilot projects uh, in certain regions of the united states in past seasons i think the next season coming up we'll see a redoubling and expansion of those efforts which is very exciting uh, and then we also um, are as i mentioned earlier expanding beyond florida we did start with uh, here in florida specifically focusing on the tomato industry but uh, since 2015 have been able to expand our operations both into uh, Florida bell peppers and also Florida strawberries. Uh, and then we are uh, just now heading out, packing our bags, uh, and heading up north uh, beyond the borders of Florida to uh, take the fair food program for a third summer to six northern states. So we'll um, be heading up first to Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina, and then later in the summer. Uh, to New Jersey and Virginia mm. and Maryland, mm-hmm. and so the and of course the reason we do that just to give a um, fun uh, economy lesson to all of the listeners is that of course um, as anyone who grows uh, any fruits and vegetables in their yard knows uh, there are particular the, uh, the fruits and vegetables that all of us get off the shelf often are produced in different states throughout the year. Florida has a very long growing season through uh, from November through May, and then from May through November. Uh, that season travels up the coast as temperatures rise. Yes. So we now the Fair Food Program travels with it, uh, and we're very excited about that. So we'll actually be going with a team of farm uh, farmworker CIW members,
0: mm-hmm. and we'll be
1: doing worker-to-worker education right there on the farm, on company time with the farmers participating workers about their rights uh, to work free from sexual violence and free from slavery
0: and under safe working conditions. And so that's very exciting. Yes. And then um, at the same time, I think with all of
1: that positivity, all of that uh, potential that's out there on the horizon, we're, we're not going to be able to get there uh, without the participation of more uh, large retailers. Because, again, that is the driving force behind many of these changes. Is only when those retailers commit to um, to only purchasing products that, uh, that are produced under the Fair Food Program and produced with this kind of worker-driven model for social responsibility mm-hmm. that change comes about. And without that commitment, uh, we know that that um, is completely ineffective. And so there are some companies that give the most recent example of Wendy's, who continues to maintain that they don't need the Fair Food Program, that they are perfectly aware of what is happening in their supply chain. Uh, they tell consumers that they have their own code of conduct, they have their own auditors, and they are not in need of uh, something like the Fair Food Program. Um, however, as we know uh, from that is a system that has been debunked over and over again by yes. labor experts all over the world, in fact, because there are many corporations who uh, would like consumers to believe that they are perfectly capable of auditing themselves, um, but it's sort of uh,
0: having the, the wolf watch the henhouse. Exactly. As uh, yes. And so I think that, that uh, it's very important for
1: consumers to distinguish between those things and to understand that. Of course, fortunately, as you said, um, you know, U.S. consumers, once they have the information, know exactly what to do with it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, uh, and so we've had uh, an incredible campaign with Wendy's uh, that has been getting bigger constantly uh, for the past couple of years. It's now been a year since we launched the national boycott against Wendy's, so we are calling on all consumers to uh, not go to Wendy's, and not only not to go, but to let them know that you're not going mm-hmm. and why. Uh, and, to, and to join a campaign for fair food. So we've had, uh, we did a, a cross country tour uh, for two weeks uh, this past March to spread the news about the Wendy's boycott. We worked with universities and church groups uh, all over the Southeast United States as well as the Midwest.
0: Uh, to educate consumers and get the word out that Wendy's is refusing to join
1: this award-winning program, even though all of their major competitors have already done so. So Taco Bell, McDonald's, Burger King, all of the other four of the five major fast food chains, uh, not only in the country but in the world, have joined the program, and Wendy's is the only holdout among those. And yet, uh would like consumers to believe that it is neither necessary nor uh, a reasonable demand that they do so. And so so not only um, did we have that tour but in fact students in particular young people who uh, not only are incredibly active but also are the target market for a lot of these fast food chains uh, really took it upon themselves to let Wendy's know that they would not be they would not have the hood pulled over their eyes that they could see what Wendy's was trying to do and that they uh, would not accept anything less uh, than actually making that commitment mm. uh, to only buying ethical products uh, and working together with farm workers to make that happen, just like all of their competitors. And so there was, in addition to the uh, cross-country tour, there was actually a series of rolling fasts. So there mm. were students all over the country, over a dozen universities, uh, where students uh, fasted for... Uh, anywhere between two and seven days oh, at a time um, to get, to call attention to this issue, to raise consciousness on their campus, and to, in some cases, put pressure on their university to, in fact, cut ties with Wendy's, mm. uh, given its ethics record. And so there were uh, actually 19 students and alumni at the uh, Ohio State University who drafted for a week uh, in order to call on their university, uh, which has a very close relationship with Wendy's, to Uh, Boot the grades or to kick Wendy's off campus uh, given that they refuse to join the Fair Food Program. And there are other universities such as Vanderbilt University uh, and the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill uh, and many others that uh, also have Wendy's on campus and where students are organizing very hard in order to uh, end their institution's relationship with a company like Wendy's so long as they refuse to join the program. So there are many, many ways for people to get involved. Those are, those are of course, are examples for students, uh, mm-hmm. but there are, there's incredible activism and uh, and contributions being made also by uh, faith communities, by community leaders uh, all across the United States. And so that uh, take, you know, in practice, that looks like inviting the CIW to come to your congregation or come to your community or your school. High school students also uh, really, really incredible stuff. So not only inviting us uh, into that space, but also doing a, a delegation to Wendy's or doing a Wendy's protest to let Wendy's know that uh, that you that you and your community have joined this boycott, uh, that you will not uh, take their excuses at mm-hmm. their uh, at face value, and accept that as good enough because it isn't, and we know that. And, you know, what it comes down to and I think is really important to remember is that the difference between what Wendy's is doing and the Fair Food Program is vast. it can appear similar on the surface when you say, well, we have auditors and they have auditors, we have a code of conduct and they have a code of conduct, Uh, but it's in fact incredibly different. Mm. The difference between having the women and men who actually work in the field, designing a program implementing that program, having access to putting in complaints uh, and then actually having them resolved. And most importantly, having those retailers who have all of that market power yes. being legally bound to cut their purchases from a farm that has
0: those types of abuses is a far cry mm. from
1: something like Wendy's CSR program in which they communicate their expectations to suppliers but no have no real Uh, solid consequences for failure. And that is almost worse than not having that program. I think that it's important for for listeners to understand that when you have a program that appears to give workers protection, Mm -hmm. but in fact has none of the infrastructure for doing so, the only thing that often accomplishes is just shielding those abuses yes. and making it harder for there to be attention put to them, for there to be solutions crafted for them. And so it, in fact, can have a worsening effect for the workers in question in those supply chains. And so the difference is, is, is vast, and I think it's imp- the most Im- two most important pieces of that are worker participation, that workers need to be involved at every level of uh, creating those programs, and also that real legally binding commitment from a corporation to cut purchases in the case of a violation. Those two things are critical, uh, and Wendy's doesn't have either of them. And so uh, it is increasingly – frankly, it's increasingly offensive to uh, Wendy's consumers and to U.S. consumers more broadly to believe that Wendy's can continuously put out these messages and these uh, commercials. That try to convince consumers that that is efficient and believing that they are just going to accept that as truth uh, and accept that the wolf is perfectly capable of guarding the hen house uh, when, of course,
2: they are not. How do you respond when they, when, when told that the public is told that the campaign for fair food uh, is a scheme designed to collect fees to be paid to CIW? What, uh, what is the basis of that and how do you respond to that? How is the public oh, responding? That is a that is a truly stunning new turn of events
1: that uh, <laughs> that just emerged actually this past spring during that March when Wendy's was really feeling the heat, uh, and so what they did was they hired a communications firm that specializes in crisis management for mm. corporations, and they said this is a this is a PR crisis, help
2: us fix it. Yes. Uh, and so that's where individuals like Heidi Shower come in, who is um, from that
1: that corporate world, and essentially what she tried to do and what wendy's is trying to do is create a narrative in which the ciw is not an award-winning human rights organization but is in fact a corrupt ngo that is trying to twist the arm of this poor corporate retailer and do into joining this program and in fact has nothing to do with um with farm workers or their human rights or their wages hmm. now this has been tried once before. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, during the Burger King campaign, was the only other time that a retailer had the um, had the gall to, in fact, come out and just invent a lie yes. that is easily refutable. <laughs> um, and it didn't turn out so well for Burger King. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, unfortunately, that in that particular case, there was actually a VP of Burger King, a vice president of Burger King, who, in fact, was using his daughter's social media handles in order to spread oh. lies
2: <laughs> And that was um, pretty quickly discovered. Yes. And not only was um, did that vice president have to uh, apologize and lost his job over it, but soon thereafter, Burger King joined the Fair Food Program. There so um, I, would, I would caution Wendy's
1: perhaps against continuing to, uh, to use this particular line of reasoning, but it's clear that they are continuing to spread that lie uh, in fact, we were uh, just at their shareholder meeting last week,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: in their own shareholder meeting, uh, their vice uh, president of communications repeated the same uh, statement that the only reason the CIW had this campaign was because you know Wendy's wasn't paying CIW, uh, mm. as if this uh, a piece of this program, which is the penny per pound premium, in which retailers will pay an additional penny per pound of all the tomatoes that they buy, uh, which should go, which goes toward Uh, improving wages for for farm workers as Mm -hmm. if we were actually receiving that money. So that's the lie. Uh, The reality, of course, uh, is Winnies could learn this just by um, talking to, I don't know, any single one of their competitors who participates in the program already, but the reality is is that penny per pound is paid directly to the grower. Mm -hmm. Uh, The premium, just like any other premium on those products, uh, and then those growers distribute that penny uh, as a line item bonus in the checks of tens of thousands of workers mm. uh, over the course, since the, it, so it never even touches DIW, much less do we keep it. Mm. But it mm. is, actually, it moves for we, we have no more access to uh, that fair food premium than we do to uh, what Wendy's normally pays a grower for mm-hmm. tomatoes. We're not a part of the tomato industry. We don't, uh, we have no say over that money. Uh, And so, there's nothing, there's just nothing true about it. But uh, it's a very convenient tagline for Wendy's to try to discredit the organization. Uh, Again, all of that and all of the data about how that works and exactly how money is split up and exactly how it arrives, exactly how it's audited, is all available. Yes. All of that is publicly available uh, through the Fair Food Program uh, annual report. And I will just say. Again, that it's so low and so petty mm. uh, and also so misguided for a corporation to try to use that kind of language, in particular against an organization like the CIW, mm. which mm-hmm. again has been recognized so widely. The CIW has received a presidential medal for extraordinary efforts to combat human trafficking, yes. has been recognized by it, has been invited to speak at the United Nations for several years has been recognized by human rights experts, labor experts across the country and across the world many times over. Mm -hmm. There are very few uh, human rights organizations with that much credibility um, who have, you know, we've had so many researchers down here who have examined the records, who have looked at exactly how we do this and have come away feeling not Mm -hmm. that we are a corrupt organization, but rather that this is a program that is an incredibly detailed system. Uh, it's very, very well monitored. It sets a new bar for how, uh, how much detail goes into monitoring. And most importantly, that this holds promise for changing the lives of millions of people who work in low-wage industries. And Wendy's trying to disparage that progress as opposed to becoming a partner in it is, is just absolutely despicable, frankly. Uh, and I think that it is a it is a line of reasoning that I think someone told them that that was a good idea, um, and that's unfortunate that they listened to them, and that uh, creating false narratives about about an organization like the CIW was going to win them, uh, was going to win the, the public narrative. And mm-hmm. I think that they will learn sooner rather than later that that um, was a mistake, I have no doubt. That they will ultimately be... Be held accountable for those statements, yes. uh, and that they will be future partners of ours. I think that there has not been a single campaign yet that the CIW uh, has not won. And again, many of the partners that we work with now are in fact
0: benefiting from their decision to join the Fair Food Program. Okay. Because again, that is in fact what um,
2: what consumers are looking for. Exactly. The Fair Food Program, the CIW. We must go, uh, Marley, but tell us. Where we can go, what website, what to, to get the information that supports your position, and to learn uh, what is uh, what is truly honest about the coalition of Immaculate Workers.
1: Absolutely. So you can always get more information and the most up to date information about uh, where the CIW is, what's happening in the Wendy's boycott at our website ciw-online.org. And you can also learn more about how the Fair Food Program works, as well as accessing all of the um,
2: the annual reports at fairfoodprogram.org. Fantastic. Say both websites, again, if you will, a little slower.
1: Sure. So the the Coalition of Immokalee Workers website is ciw-online.org. And the Fair Food Program's website is fairfoodprogram.org.
2: Very good. Thank you so much, Marley Monahan, for being on the show today. It was most impactful and informative, educational. And as I believe in all my heart, when Americans have the truth, they will certainly uh, uh, act accordingly. So thank you so much for being on the show. And we wish you and all those at CIW all the very best for good health, good food. Thank you. Bye now. Stay with us
0: as we'll be right back with a final comment from The Reasonable Voice. Another Film Rental Discovery.
2: Welcome to the Indie Film Minute. Religion is an inescapable facet of society. Here in America, home of the Bible Belt and megachurches as far as the eye can see, Christianity is king. Its creeping influence has its fair share of critics, but likely few are as entertaining as Brian Tannelly's dramedy, Saved. Jenna Malone plays Mary at about teenager who loves praising the Lord with her best friend Hillary Faye. When Mary's boyfriend, Dean, comes out to her, Mary proceeds to follow through on a vision wherein Jesus tells her to save Dean's soul by losing her virginity to him. When Mary winds up pregnant and Dean is sent away to a Christian rehab center, she is forced to navigate her senior year confused and concerned about her once firm beliefs. Malone's performance as Mary is a knockout punch filled with soul-searching that rises far above run-of-the-mill teen angst. Mandy Moore's turn as the more radically religious Hillary Faye is also a highlight. Watching her bounce off the walls in response to Mary's loss of faith is equal parts hilarious and humbling. Saved. Pulls off the high wire act of realistically portraying what it's like to be forced to confront your beliefs while refraining from making a mockery of devout religion. Saved. Not in theaters. Discovery through rental. Hello, I'm Marcello Rolando, The Reasonable Voice, thanking you for joining us and becoming one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. The Best Years of Our Lives In 1941, America was attacked by a foreign power with the intent of taking over our government, brainwashing us against democracy, and replacing any idea of supreme being with a self-proclaimed superman however united with our greatest global allies the greatest generation was victorious in war and peace in 2016 america was attacked by a foreign power with the intent of electing its choice for our government defaming america's exceptional diversity with angry rhetoric hate speech racism fear mongering muslim bans belittling the disabled conversion therapy and denial of environmental realities In the disarray of disunity reigned apathy, and claims that free speech was the right to succumb to a Pied Piper of corporatism. Nonetheless, believing in the call of our Declaration of Independence, the evolution of our Constitution, and the leadership example of our Gettysburg Address, many persisted, knowing we are most indivisible when our Bill of Rights is free of malice aforethought when we protect ourselves with an independent press charged by we, the people, to educate us with truth, not speculative gossip, and when we exercise our right, peaceably, to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances, including, but not limited to, bullies using the bully pulpit to preach Putin talking points. As in 1941, America again needs to trust the courageous optimism of our youth, coupled with the expertise of a bit of experience. Millennials looking up from devices with a momentary glance over their shoulders need assure baby boomers, we've got this for now they are the seers of the gateway forward reinvigorating our i have a dream into the reality of its truth setting us free from the lies we tell ourselves although divisive eighteen sixty to nineteen sixty political fog rises again to choke america's life-breath The strong can see beyond the increasing smog, resisting despite bearing the brunt of coal ash water, food deserts, and Wall Street's forever disappeared occupations. We will survive any event to blind our vision for generational renewal, inspiring all by embracing possibility we the young at heart and open-minded lift our eyes to the skies to harness the sun and renew life on and of the earth with what cannot be seen but like freedom is discernible by the resolve of its antagonists we are harvesting the very wind at our back whisking those with eyes to see and ears to hear into the technology of thinking ahead before the avarice festering in the towers of all that glitters without greatness, floods both reason and land with water-wars. Yet, wisdom whispers, stay calm and carry on, for we see correctly who, perceive our greatness, is as earthly stewards from Genesis to Revelation. I'm not certain what we should ask of those born in the 1960s assassinations, the Vietnam War, Kent State tragedy, left behind to survive trickle-down economics after the lessons of the greatest generation were largely drowned out by government is the problem. So I listened to the wind and the sea, reread Frank Copper's The Name Above the Title, remembered the enormous cultural contributions Beethoven and Billy Wilder bequeathed after they were deaf, Unable, however, to revisit Chandler's list, I again immersed mind, body, and soul in Spielberg's Saving Private Ryan, and discovered America's true inheritance from April 15, 1865, and April 12, 1945. So now I ask, what moral infrastructure have we provided millennials as renewable platform for more than preserving the legacy of baby boomers, it is for millennials to protect and defend the earth from repetitive rape and pillage instead of twitter tirades we owe millennials debt-free education equal employment opportunity income parity and a life-sustaining environment for only the passionately compassionate can successfully resist immoral goliaths before hearing frost and kennedy i was too young to know how best to talent share But with Angelo and Clinton inaugural encore, I saw the best years of our lives begin the moment trumped thinking is solar-paneled. Sharing our talents, foresight, humanity, and thanksgiving for all life on earth, we give future generations the opportunity to inherit the wind for the best years of their lives. Thank you, and join us. Become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world.